and welcome to the Deep Waters Podcast. We pray that Christ is at the beginning and end of all we do. May openness and peace mark our discussions. As we engage in conversations about the fresh move of God, may our hearts be drawn to unity. And in all things, may this shape us to look more like you, Jesus. Amen. Now, spritz up a nice mug of your favorite lemon honey tea. Spritz it. Spritzed. And enjoy Deepwater's podcast. the clink i liked the clink. i have to keep that i'm pretty sure that was the incorrect use of the word spritz but i went for it anyway yeah it just it felt right i don't I'm, spritz i don't I, know why I'm, i think we'll we'll make spritz happen we're going to define that word subjectively today it <laughs> means what i want it to mean and nothing else <laughs> that's a good practice for our society um does does subjective and objective are those words that like normal people know or am i just too nerdy when i use those words i use those all the time oh okay cool so i don't but again i think a lot of people in my life would call me a nerd great so (laughs) (laughs) so if you're here and you know what subjective or objective means then go ahead and comment them on our youtube video yeah totally just a little definition that'd be great nerds unite nerds unite let's go (laughs) i'm curious all right. Dyslexics untie. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> Thanks, friends. Okay, so here we are. We're talking about discipleship. Mm-hmm. We're still unpacking this really rich message that Darren Roundsend gave us when he was here. We took a quick break mm-hmm. for unpacking another, another message, and, and then we picked it back up, and we're talking about these contrasts of yeah. what a life between a consumeristic Christian and a radical disciple might look like in yeah. our context. And earlier today when I was drafting the notes for this podcast, I don't know if you'll appreciate this, but it, I thought to myself, radical disciple I wish that that phrasing was unnecessary. Mm-hmm. I wish we could just say disciple. I've thought the same thing. Really? Yeah, totally. But mm. I think, yeah, discipleship within the context of the modern church has become incredibly watered down. Right. To like a devotional book. Wow. Or or even like just just a Sunday school hour, you know, wow. when it should be more more than that, more full faceted. Holistic. Holistic. Full faceted. Manifold. Not a phrase. We'll call it full faceted. Spritz. Many facets. Um, <laughs> Spritz. The, the metaphor that came to my mind is like, what if, what if blueberries got like, I don't know, somehow genetically modified so that they became gradually less blue? Oh, yeah. So we had to differentiate them when we tried to create blue blueberries by calling them blue blueberries. Yeah. That's a good image. It's like, like redundant, that. but mm-hmm. unfortunately that redundancy has become necessary because society has watered down what discipleship means. So we yes. have to call it radical when in reality, like discipleship to Jesus is just inherently radical. Yeah. Almost it's, regardless of what your culture is, as long yeah. as you still live this side of heaven. 
That's such a good word. Don't you think? Mm -hmm. That's a good image. Mm. So Lord convict us to make our discipleship more holistic. Mm -hmm. And we're going to, we're going to dive into one, probably maybe two. We'll see how this conversation goes. Contrasts that Darren gave us. Um, and the question that I posed that sets up these two different answers between the consumer and the disciple is this, who do I surround myself with? Um, let's just read the consumeristic Christian approach. You want to read that? Yeah. Uh, a consumeristic Christian would live shallow lives with relationships based on personal interests and connection that provides personal benefit. Hmm. Do you feel like you do that at all? Uh, to a little bit. I feel like I see that in myself. Hopefully less now, mm-hmm. but like living in a relationship with a person that thinks the same way that I do and affirms the way that I live feels good. So I like want to associate with people like that. Totally. And then when there are people that don't fit those categories, but they are different than me in some way, there's like a relational rub that makes me want to not be in community with them as Mm -hmm. much. Yeah, totally. Hmm. I, I think I've, I've even, what it talks about living shallow lives with relationships based on personal interests. I've seen, um, in my life over the last 10 years, kind of these seasons of friendships come and go based on, um, location or Mm. job or those kinds of things. And so while I was in those transient times, I just never like had steady, that set like that many steady friends and there's that whole like friends for a season friends for friends for a reason friends for a lifetime yeah i think i think we often just kind of fall into the friends for a reason thing whoa yeah and kind of always kind of hold our friends at a distance because we know that if for some reason they move i move we switch churches we start to believe different ideologies we might just let each other go and that's just how it is it's become inconvenient to maintain that friendship. Mm-hmm. So it just drifts. Totally. I also notice in that, that the like cultural soup we swim in is so individualistic that we make all of our decisions kind of in isolation. Yeah. Totally. Either as yourself, if you're a single person or like as a family unit, mm-hmm. if you're married and have kids or whatever. Yeah. Um, and you think, like, Hey, am I going to accept this new job and move out of state and go here or go there because I exist or we exist in our family as an independent unit that can plug and play in life anywhere we are instead of wow, like yeah. I am inherently interwoven with the people that I do relationship with. Hmm. And for me to uproot from that is like a dramatic life shift that affects our family unit and all of the people that we're connected to. Totally. So this decision has to be a bigger one than just, Oh, I got a a job offer to move to Kentucky. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, No, that's so good. I'm just aware of, yeah. Even the way that we talk about it feels so affected by our 
hyper individualism in our culture. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Uh, you can tell I've been swimming in this soup, I guess. Should we read the um, radical discipleship answer yeah. to the question? How about you read this one? Okay. I think this will help. I like this lingo. Uh, a radical disciple, you can tell that you are one if you live in covenanted countercultural community in a local church context. So none of this like yeah. metaverse church stuff. <laughs> Preach that. Yeah. <laughs> no, totally. That? If you haven't heard of that, there are actually people who attend church in the metaverse, which I... means they just like tune in mm-hmm. online, but with virtual reality or something. Yeah, I I tried to watch a virtual reality church service. Oh, really? It was not that much fun at all. What was it like? Well, I mean, this was just like a church, I think in Florida, it's like Florida. filmed with a like 360 camera. And so like this, it was interesting. Like the stage was all like pretty elaborate and like there was worship happening. But like I turned around and there's just like no one in there. Like oh. no one like sitting, but there's like an old guy, an old guy like right next to me that like, I can't interact with him at all. You know? Right. I can't turn to my neighbor and talk about my favorite coffee I've had this week or whatever. Right. You know? Yeah. It was, it was very half baked, which is a lot of the metaverse right now. Huh. If we're going to talk about the status of the metaverse. Sure. <laughs> um, that would be a deep rabbit trail if we wanted to, but I think I love the question. Who do I surround myself with? But I think in our society too, a good question to ask is, do I surround myself with anyone? Oh yeah. You know, I, am I utterly alone? (laughs) (laughs) Oh wow. Yeah. Um, sorry. Yeah. That that got more depressing. Existential. (laughs) Um, well I, I was just thinking too, like, I think even in my life right now, I mean, I work at a church and I have coworkers and I have people within the church that are my friends and confidants, but I don't live near these people. And really the amount of time I see them, I could totally hide anything in my life. Wow. That's which is good. Which is kind of crazy, which I feel like is a litmus test to, I might not have this like covenantal countercultural community figured out yet wow but in our society it says like no it is good that you like have your own space and like no one should tell you how to live your life or correct you on what you're doing it's like these are very this is very much at odds with the current american cultural moment oh there's a lot that we could say i want to point out that um when was it just this past may the Surgeon General in the United States declared a loneliness epidemic. Yeah. That it can be it can be accurately classified as an epidemic because loneliness is affecting our health so dramatically. That's wild. Um, so I think measurable things like this are helpful to point to what you're describing. That like our culture tells us that certain things are just normal, so we do them by default. Mm-hmm. Like I don't need to divulge all my private matters with other people. That's my business. Yeah. That's like a cultural narrative. And the kingdom narrative that cuts against that grain is we are to live in a community of confession and vulnerability mm-hmm. 
where we have nothing to hide from one another so yeah. that we can sharpen each other as iron sharpens iron totally in the path of discipleship. But the world wants to say like, no, this is my life. This is, these are my affairs. This is my yeah. little corner of the world. Mm-hmm. Even suburbia feels like a product of hyper individualism. I was just thinking the same thing. Were you hundred percent? Hmm. Like I, and that, and that's where it's like here, I'm like in this church office and around all these really dynamic people. And I have this like community and this like ability to go to anyone. Like I feel very safe here and can share anything. And, um, there is a connectedness that I feel, but I uh, essentially clock out by shutting my car door and then I'm just in my own world until I come back. You know, there's no, there's no other touch points that, that are, that are not forced the wrong word, but organic. That's good. Is that the right? Like there's no, like if once I shut my car door, I can just see me, my wife and son, and we can just be in our own little world. And there's no natural way that I've built into my life to encounter another person in my community. Whoa. Where if we look back even a hundred years, less than that, even just the way our city was, were built up. We're so much more different. Like around the time of the advent of the car, you before the car was invented, like right, right around that time, you wouldn't have a car, you know, the factory worker would have a car or the factory owner would have a car maybe. Sure. But everyone was just commuting from their down the road apartment complex or little house. And you're walking or taking the bus or taking some, not the bus, no cars. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, you're hopping on like yeah. a, they had like trolleys back then. You had to hop on a trolley throughout Boise. There sure. was a inner city trolley that went yes. throughout the whole treasure Valley. Don't get me started on that. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, but, but like it's the, a problem literally mm-hmm. right off the bat, the moment I shut my house door, there's so many organic touch points. Wow. But the car has like extended that time much further. Wow. And I would say the single family home has extended that much further. And like all these different things mm. that didn't used to be the norm are now the norm and just produce isolation without intentionality. Like if you're not going to be intentional to pursue community, you can be completely alone week after week after week, truly alone, which is really, that's why it's an epidemic. Like I've Uh in, in my time in ministry, like I've gone and taken food to people, especially during the pandemic, like, and the pandemic was incredibly isolating for so many people, but I encountered so many people that I'm like, you one, haven't seen another person in months. But I don't think this is because of the pandemic. Like you have like, it's, it's scary. It's kind of dark and it, it, it still kind of weighs on me. Just the, the amount of loneliness I saw, especially during that time. Interesting. I'm thinking I, I, in, um, what's it called? Smithsonian. Yeah. Smithsonian magazine. I was reading an article about the loneliness epidemic. Mm -hmm. And, um, one of the things it said is from, 2003 to 2020 right before the pandemic yeah so not counting pandemic stuff but in that 17 year period um on average a 15 to 24 year old would spend 150 minutes per day with friends in 2003 Uh uh-huh 
in 2020 before the pandemic instead of 150 minutes that same age group is only spending 40 minutes with friends per day wow so your like friend to friend interaction in just 17 years decreased 70 percent that's insane is that not phenomenal and what do you think the the major contributor factor to that probably is that happened between 2003 and 2020. I mean, tech, like social media technology, social media, sure. I'm sure technology, yeah. smartphones, Facebook, mm-hmm. it's all now. Now I have this sense that I'm interacting socially with people in a virtual space, mm-hmm. but there isn't an organic, meaningful heart to heart connection yeah. touch point. That's gotta be a huge part of it. I think one thing that majorly plays into that, if you are someone who is on social media a lot, you know many details about the people that you follow Hmm. and vice versa. And so there's not this like natural bent towards just personal conversation about our lives and catching up, which then you usually can like speak into and and elaborate on. It's just like, you know that already, or it's like, oh yeah, I saw that. I saw you guys did this. And it's like, what do you say after that? I did. <laughs> I did do that. Yes. And I felt the same emoji happy face about it as I, as I did when I posted it. But it's now oh, instead wow. of talking about the personal things, you usually uh-huh. talk about like catch up on like, did you see this? Did you watch this? Did you hear this in the news? Wow. And it's like very much more externally, not about me more about like what I know about what's going on in the world. Wow, that's good. There's a book called Reclaiming Conversation mm-hmm. that I forget the name, Sandra, I forget, look it up. Mm-hmm. It's phenomenal and I'd highly recommend it to anyone. This came out um, before some of the most recent technological stuff. But um, one thing it said is exactly the point you're making is um, young teenagers, this psychologist who wrote the book says, they used to interact with one another face to face with each other about each other. Mm-hmm. And now in fa- instead of face to face at the lunch table, they interact shoulder to shoulder about something that's not either one of them. Oh, wow. So it's like third party content. That's why, which is exactly what you were just yeah, saying. So totally. instead of like sharing, what was your math class like today? Mm-hmm. You say, Hey, let me show you this meme. Mm-hmm. And now I'm pulling my phone out and while we're eating, we're talking about something that has nothing to do with either of our lives. We're talking about something that pulls both of us out of ourselves and isolates us from the other. And she said, whoever the incredible author, her of name book is, is Sherry Turkle. Turkle. Yep. I knew it sounded like turtle, <laughs> um, but I didn't remember what it was. She rocks. Great book. Um, she said, this is dramatically reducing um, humans, but especially teenagers ability to experience empathy. Yeah. Um, and she unpacks why that is, but I just think all of these things are important to say because Christian or not psychologists, medical doctors are pointing to loneliness and isolation as severe issues. So much so that the surgeon general public published, I guess, that I don't even know how this could be true, but, um, it was published in that um, Smithsonian magazine Mm -hmm. that loneliness can raise the risk of premature death by 26%. Wow. And part of that is because it raises the likelihood of heart disease, strokes, anxiety, depression, and dementia. Yeah. All of those things are linked to loneliness. They saw a huge uptick in like dementia and Alzheimer's during the pandemic. 
Interesting. When like, especially like elderly people weren't able to socialize. Um, and it just like, it's so important just to like keep the brain sharp, you know? And there's other, there's obviously other factors there, but I did, I did hear that. Check this out. This is kind of interesting. Um, I heard a lot of what I'm going to say in this podcast. I pulled from a John Mark Comer's sermon on community mm-hmm. and it came out in 2022. So if you want to check it out, I adore everything that he do- does and touches. It's so helpful, but there was a French philosopher and politician dude named Alexis de Tocqueville, um, who was interacting with the founding fathers and helped kind of write some of the philosophy that became the declaration of independence and the constitution. Mm-hmm. So really significant character in American history, even though he's French. Um, and he said that uh, the defining American trait trait in the 1770s and eighties was extremist individualism. Interesting. Like he claimed that that's something that's been defining to our culture since its inception. Yeah. And he, he said, quote, left unchecked this extremist individualism will spell the abolition of humanity which is so dramatic. Yeah. But I feel like what we're getting at with this, like it actually makes people die younger loneliness. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Is pointing to some of these things that great philosophers have known for a long time. And this more is than that, stressing me out. Is it Uh-oh. a little bit? No, I think it's good. <laughs> I mean, I'm getting a little fired up of like, I don't think we're talking about this enough. Yeah, t- totally. One we're- at river house, but as like a body of believers and the church at large, Right. And that was something I even brought up with uh, Pastor Darren when he was on the podcast of like, uh-huh. how do we interact with, I don't know, these cultural norms like social media as a church when they're doing such harm, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. I, It's interesting. I don't, I, don't, mm. I don't know what to do with that. Like, I just think I, if you're a parent listening to this, like let this like open your heart and like may the Lord just like kind of guide you and give you wisdom Wow. on how to parent your family through this time. Like, what does that That's look good. like? What boundaries do you set up? What norms do you start now when your kids are young? So they see you not on your phone, but talking with people. I'm preaching to me too, you know, Sure. like how many people are over at your house that you're over at their house? Are you meeting in common spaces? Like, yeah. And not just on the phone or over FaceTime or on social media and some, yeah. or yeah, I don't know. I wonder if the first step yeah. is let's get together and talk about it. Mm-hmm. Th- that feels kind of meta. <laughs> yes, actually I can. Uh, oh, I didn't, I wasn't even showing you this. Oh, you weren't? No. I, I thought you were doing that on purpose. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. But that, I mean, it's kind of meta because we're talking about how you need community. Mm-hmm. And so getting together and talking about it is... And a tremendous first step to remedying your individualism and isolation. Um, But I also think that when we're together, we come up with the best ideas and isolation. I don't think we do as well, which is part of why like C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien are two of some of the greatest authors in the English language history. And they were best friends and inspired each other's ideas. Mm -hmm. They were iron sharpening iron. Like Lewis made Lord of the Rings better. Yeah. And Tolkien made Narnia better. So good. That's so fun to me. So I think we just, uh, we catalyze each other's strengths in the church. I Mm -hmm. think the negative can also be true. We can pull each other down, but yeah, 
I don't want to focus on that as much in this podcast. Yeah. And I, <laughs> yeah, no. And I don't want to bring it down. Sure. Cause I think it's, I think we've seen, you can look at, I don't know, Christian circles that really thrive on like the fear of the culture, you know? Yeah. And that's kind of just where they go. They don't talk about what it can be or move on from that. So I, sorry, I kind of got into like the, just the moment, gloom. the gloom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be the gloom guy, <laughs> but I think it's important to recognize like the severity of the moment that we find ourselves mm-hmm. in. If for no other reason, just to like wake us up yeah. to the importance of doing this well. Totally. Um, Cause people are lonely mm-hmm. everywhere in our culture and Jesus, the way of Jesus has a real answer to this. And it's not just an answer, but it's, it's a command of scripture is to not forsake the gathering of saints, like woven into the fabric of scripture so deeply that we don't perceive it. Like 99% of the time is a collective community that created the Bible. Like That's there's good. a reason that it doesn't say Holy Bible written by Moses or like any other one person. We yeah. like to celebrate the individuals because they help us make sense of context and so on and so forth. But yeah. this is, this is a communal book yeah. that was written by a community and they existed in a world that didn't think the way that we do. They didn't think with our same individualistic boxes. Yeah. Uh, and in any way that we can, I think it's helpful for those boxes to be broken and exposed. Not that they're all bad, um, but we need to at least transcend them enough to know what they're doing to us. Hmm. So we can, uh, I don't know, eat the flesh and spit out the bones, so to speak. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Totally. Yeah. And I think another thing that I just want to point out is it's like these statistics about loneliness actually leading to premature death mm-hmm. somewhere. I, again, I don't know how in the world this is possible, but the Smithsonian magazine published that, um, like the, the severity of loneliness in our culture today is akin to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Somebody's study says that. Interesting. And I don't even know how that, like, in what way is loneliness akin to smoking 15 cigarettes? Maybe it's anything, if anything that you are doing that would shorten your life by 20%. Maybe. I think that's probably how they figure that out. No, it's probably it's so, not like loneliness is going to give you lung cancer. Yeah. And, and also, <laughs> we're also not saying that, like, if you are on social media or not in a house church, it's like smoking 15 packs of cigarettes a day. <laughs> I think the loneliness that the Surgeon General talks about is a really deep isolation yeah. marked by anxiety, depression, mm-hmm. you know, unhealth in many yeah. areas. So like, I don't want you to hear us saying that like, you know, just because you're not super involved in Riverhouse or a church, you're smoking packs of cigarettes. You're going to die. But that's, <laughs> that's where our culture is producing this environment for loneliness to thrive so much so that someone who is not some snowflake millennial is like, this is a problem. (laughs) You know, this is medically, this is a problem. Medically. I think that's important. That's fascinating. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm glad you said that because it's not like, oh, wow, you downloaded Instagram. You're going to die young. (laughs) Like totally. And yet these little things like 
Instagram, TikTok, social media, the smartphone, but also Netflix, the, the digital world, video games. Yeah. Um, and more than that, I think suburbia, the way we commute, cars, mm-hmm. uh, I think all of that is a product of an individualistic culture that is making our culture more individualistic. Yeah. Um, and so we have to be aware of the way that it, they're affecting us personally. Mm-hmm. And this is why Darren's language was key. Um, we have to live in a counter formational way to recognize how is the world trying to influence me that I could just come into alignment with by default. Yeah. And how can I counter that with the way of Jesus wherever I need to and living in a community in a covenantal way is his answer to this issue. Yeah. Um, Let's talk about that. What does that mean? What does that mean? (laughs) Do you want me to answer that? Yeah, I'd love for you to answer that. Covenant. What comes to my mind is Jonathan and David in the Bible. Mm-hmm. First Samuel. Jonathan, if you don't know, he's the heir to the throne. He's the son of King Saul at the time. So rule and reign is in theory coming his way. Mm-hmm. But he's best friends with this shepherd kid named David. And they really hit it off. Like their friendship is so meaningful that we're told they actually covenant themselves in friendship to one another. Wow. And Jonathan says, I know the call from God on your life, David, and I'll give you my father's armor. I submit to you, even though the throne technically belongs to me. Wow. Countercultural there. Talk about counterculture. No kidding. (laughs) That's that's radically countercultural. And it's supposed to be really loud because relationships that have existed between two peers, men like brothers Mm -hmm. um, or close friends in the Bible up to that point had been really bad. Yeah. Like Jacob and Esau, messy situation, Isaac and Ishmael, Cain and Abel. Totally. Clearly these, these relationships didn't go super well. Joseph and the bros. Joseph and his bros. Yeah. Yeah. That's what the Bible project likes to call sibling rivalry. Yeah. Which I think is helpful. Yeah. Even when um, Israel is looking at the Edomites, which if you're not aware, Edom is a nation to the southeast of Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, those are Esau's descendants. And Israel is Jacob's or Israel's yeah. descendants. So in a way, they're like two kingdoms that are brothers yeah. to each other. Um, Moab is the descendants of Lot, who is related to Abraham. Yeah. And intentionally, the Bible tells us how these surrounding nations of Israel are connected to the fathers of Israel to say, these nations are your brothers. Oh, wow. And when you fight Edom... When you fight Moab, you're fighting your brothers. This is all scaled up version of sibling rivalry because all of you humans were created in the image of God. Wow. So that is a thread. Sorry, that was a little bit of a rabbit trail. That's a thread throughout all of scripture. And David and Jonathan's relationship is very um, loudly Mm. cutting against that unfortunate thread and saying, hey, this is what it could look like if it's done well. Totally. This is someone with authority submitting that authority 
to the person that God said now has authority. And like that kind of the, the covenant that they had with each other was, um, well, I'm sorry. I went such down such a biblical rabbit trail. Maybe I should have just defined the word covenant. <laughs> uh, let's yeah define covenant. But the trail was nice. You like I the trail? I was enjoying the view. Okay. It was a good trail. <laughs> okay, well thanks. manicured. Yeah, thank you. Well manicured trail. Um, yeah, thank you. Ridge Ridge to Rivers Trail. Um, we love that. Yeah. Uh, covenant is essentially where you make a, like a binding contract with mm-hmm. someone. Where you say, hey, I'm going to hold up my end of this relationship and you're going to hold up yours. God makes covenants with Israel and he says, I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. Follow these laws and live in this abundant way. Love other people and I will bless you and live with you. Hmm. Those are like the terms of the contract. And God is faithful to his covenant regularly all throughout scripture, Mm -hmm. even when Israel is not faithful to the covenant. Hmm. Um, uh, A covenant that we see in our modern day today all the time is marriage. You make a covenant with the person that you marry. You say, this isn't just a contract. This isn't a business thing. My like soul is interwoven with yours and I vow to belong to you and you to me for the rest of our lives. Yeah. That's covenant. So good. And one thing that's interesting I want to point out is um, David and Jonathan's relationship is described as a covenant friendship. And there are some people in the last few decades that have said David and Jonathan's relationship is a biblical example of a hidden homosexual relationship. Oh, yeah. Because that level of intimacy and friendship can't exist unless it's romantic, mm-hmm. which we, in my opinion yeah. is just a really heartbreaking discourse on where our culture is today yeah. that men can't have healthy friendships with other men yeah. unless it's some like culture says it's a romantic relationship and they must be attracted to one another sexually. Totally. So I just want to call that out. Thank you for doing that. As like a, oh my gosh. Like yeah. a contrast of our over-sexualized culture mm-hmm. compared to this biblical ideal of friendship that yeah. is binding. So good. And wow. I'm so, this is a really deep biblical lesson now. Is that okay? Yeah, I'm here for it. I'll just say last thing. Um, part of the covenant, there were a lot of parts of it, but um, part of it was Jonathan, his brother, and his dad all ended up dying tragically in this battle on the top of a hill whose name I forget. And then David becomes king and David sends one of his men. Is there anyone of Jonathan's house that's still alive? If so, bring him to me and he will be like my son. Mm-hmm. And they find this guy named um, Mephibosheth, I think mm-hmm. his name is. Uh, you can find this in Second Kings. I don't know where, 18 maybe. Um, where... This son of Jonathan, who I think he had club feet or something, mm-hmm. um, he was disabled physically. Um, so he wasn't a very helpful worker. He, w- yeah. he wouldn't have been like a super favorable guy to add to your household. Yeah, totally. David says, that guy's my son now because his dad was my covenanted friend. Wow. And I swore to take care of that friend's line. Yeah. So I'm going to. And so he inherits that like father role over his friend's son. 
That's amazing. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah, that's so beautiful. And then Mephibosheth eats at his table like a son from mm-hmm. that point. So it's it's like wow. what the ideal of being a godfather and mother might be mm-hmm. in the church. Yeah. If it was really flushed out to its fullest extent. Totally. Huh. I just that's w- powerful. went on a long rabbit trail there. Are you thinking things? Yeah. I mean, we just... <laughs> Yeah, those kinds of covenantal relationships, I think, are either non-existent or either saved for marriage or seen kind of half-heartedly in marriages. Hmm. Like, sure. there's just, like, there's not definitely an, an abundance of those in in friendships, in friendships outside of marriage, in relationships to a church or a body of believers. We just don't see that. Whoa. It's like, I don't really even have a framework of what that would look like in modern day. I, I have an example yeah. of a friend of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I haven't really seen this all that much, but I saw a friend of mine who was a byproduct of this. Her parents belonged to a small group when they were in college at Pacific Lutheran University in Tacoma, Washington. And there were five couples in this small group. Mm-hmm. And when they graduated from college, they said, this community has been so meaningful to each of us. Mm. Let's commit to community with each other as we raise our kids. Wow. Um, what they all did was they bought houses. Most of them are all literally next door to each other on the same block in Tacoma, Washington. And they all had keys to each other's houses. If one, um, pair of parents were away, then another would just like be the babysitters. Yeah. Um, and they just took care of each other all the way as all those kids grew up. There was like committed, um, relationship. Mm-hmm. I, and when my, one of my closest friends in college was a daughter of one of these families, um, it blew my mind. Cause I didn't think that things like that actually happened. Totally. But I feel like that's a picture of what the kingdom could look like yeah. if we did this community thing well today. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like she said, yeah. if my house ran out of eggs, I would just walk over to the Hamiltons and get an egg out of their fridge. Cause their house <laughs> yeah. was my house. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's offensive to our modern culture. Yes. And I mean, I feel like right (laughs) now in our really sprawling metro area, it feels impossible. Hmm. Like I, I, to some extent, you know, I mean, I guess it all takes, you're not going to accidentally buy houses right next to each other. You're not going to accidentally develop those vulnerable relationships and probably have, you know, good chain of feedback and hard conversations accidentally. Yeah. Um, and I think I maybe am just wanting to all happen so naturally that it's good. It doesn't take, you know, any effort. Uh, another thought I thought about covenants is how many covenants have we made with one another? Um, or like a, maybe a sign of where our society is at of how many covenants we've made with one another versus how many terms and conditions we've agreed to on the internet. Whoa. <laughs> Without reading them. Without reading them. It's like, that's like, that's Whoa. the new, that we just sign so many things randomly without ever reading them and like have like watered down this idea of contract or covenant just to a formality when you open an app. Whoa. Isn't that interesting? That is that's an interesting my mind contrast. Bit, yeah. Thanks for bringing me into that. That's fascinating. Yeah. Like. Mm. I think it's worth asking, what would a Christian community look like um, if we did it at River House yeah. that was co- 
covenantal. Like, Mm -hmm. full disclosure, I'm not excellent at this, so I'm totally preaching to myself in this. Yeah, but same. Say you belong to a house church. I belong to a house church, and Haley, my wife, and I are like tired because it's been a long day. But house church is that night, and we're supposed to bring some food because it's kind of like potluck taco vibes. Yeah, I'm I'm over here like, gosh, I don't know if I have it in me to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, consumeristic mo- m- move, I think, and I don't want to be too harsh, but I think a consumeristic move would say, let's skip tonight. Yeah. Let's just stay home, um, turn on the TV and like chill. Yeah. Self-care. Because that's, that would be the providing personal benefit. Exactly. That'd be the focus is personal benefit. That's good. And not the, the holistic community mm-hmm. and the, or the covenant you've made. That's good. Sorry, I'm not interrupting. No, that was perfect. Because the covenant you make with your spouse says like in sickness or in health, I'm going to take care of you. Richer or poorer, you are my wife or my husband. I'm going to care for you. Yeah. Um, If we had relationships like that with our house churches, then it'd be like, hey, instead of I'm just going to stay home tonight because I'm tired, it's, hey, I'm going to go to house church tonight and I'm going to confess to them that my energy's running pretty low. Yeah. And they, if they're holding up their end of the covenant are going to be a safe place for me to be low. Mm-hmm. And maybe they'll pray into what happened w- with me at work today. Totally. And I feel the safety to be vulnerable and exposed in all iterations of myself hmm. in front of them. Yeah. But that level of vulnerability is uncomfortable. Totally. And I mean, it's exposing. Here's a, here's a quote that I heard in John Mark Comer's sermon. I've never read this book, but this quote sounds great. So it makes me want to read it. A guy (laughs) called M Scott Peck said there can be no vulnerability without risk. So if you want vulnerability, you have to get risky Mm -hmm. and there can be no community without vulnerability. In other words, Community is inherently going to force risk of you. Yeah. If you're going to want to build proper community, Mm -hmm. it's like you want to be the kind of people that is actually committed to each other, that can depend on each other in all seasons. Then you also need to be the kind of person that depends on others in all of your seasons. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like that risk, that effort that like we talked about in the restoration of all things series. It's like, it's, mm-hmm. it's taking intentional intentional steps to bring restoration. So if we want mm-hmm. to see the countercultural covenant community happen here and within our lives, we can't just not risk or take those steps. And I think mm-hmm. the, the cultural soup we're in, like we like to say is so passive. Wow. Yeah. It's so like scrolling <laughs> is, is literally the amount of effort it takes to be connected these days. Right. And connected is not the same. No, as community, as community. No, it's like, there's all these connections. John Mark Comer pointed this out in his sermon too. There are countless, literally like countless connections that you could have on the internet. Mm -hmm. Um, so you could consider that like an online community. But what he said is the, the term online community is actually an oxymoron because the definition of community necessitates that you are together in the flesh with one another. Mm-hmm. So to be an online community 
only makes sense if like your online interaction is a supplement to your in-person relationships. Totally. Yeah. But even then, like your in-person relationships have to be by far more primary. So I could have, I don't know, 2000 friends on Facebook. Those are all my connections. Yeah. But apparently psychologists say the average human can only sustain somewhere between 100 and 150 meaningful relationships. Who is this person that can do that? Uh, that's so, I mean, <laughs> meaningful, maybe they're like still like not super deep. Yeah. But like the kinds of relationships mm -hmm. that exist in like a friend yeah, totally. or loads of friends, not like all deep friends. Yeah. Okay. That makes more sense. But I think if you're in a world that says I have 2000 friends on Facebook, then you're trying to somehow sustain relationships with hundreds at least yeah. of people. I don't That's know. Do wild. you see that? Totally. Yeah. It's just interesting how we've like, even we, I feel like community is mostly used to describe online forums now. Huh? Like yeah. what I, what I've seen in like on YouTube and social media when I was on it was, Hey, join our community, join our whatever community, our, you know, Home Depot DIYers community online, sure. you know? And it's like, it's just really interesting. Huh. Just it's just like the slow fade into isolation <laughs> and loneliness. Yes. Turns out if you just order Grubhub and Instacart and you work remotely, you literally never have to leave your apartment. Yeah. For any reason. It it is freaky that you can sustain your life without ever leaving mm -hmm. through delivery services, through Amazon. You can get anything. Anything, literally anything delivered, delivered to, to your, your house. Door. Yeah. Usually in a day, <laughs> which is crazy. That's the world we live in. That's an absurd cultural moment. Mm -hmm. I remember, I remember that being a shocking ideal of like, maybe someday you wouldn't ever have to leave your house. I mean, that was only like 10 years ago. Yeah. Back and when we were ordering Domino's and that was like one of the only things that you could order. Yeah, or like Amazon <laughs> Prime was just coming out, I think, right huh. around there. And it's like, you can get something in two days, three days, and you can get like, you know, books and clothes, but now it's like groceries, anything, whatever you want. Wow. Grocery stores are delivering to you now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I use Walmart delivery all the time. Wild. Very weird. Very weird. Um. I, I just really think all of these conversations are so essential for our individual health in ways that we don't recognize. Yeah. But what's maybe worth pointing out is the way of our culture, I think, is efficiency, mm -hmm. comfort. I'm trying to cut corners yeah. to make things easier. Mm -hmm. So it's sweet that I can order Walmart from my house to be delivered to me because then I don't have to go through the hassle of going to the store, picking out the items myself. Someone will do all of that for me. Yeah. Great. That's a nice corner that I just cut. I'm making my life more convenient. Mm -hmm. If convenience is the goal, um, safety, security, ease, if those are the things that are driving our decisions, which I think consumerism forces us in that direction, mm -hmm. Then when you get in a community that's hard 
Yeah. All of a sudden, vulnerability made me really uncomfortable. And this person shared an opinion, a theological or maybe a political opinion that I disagree with. That made me uncomfortable. I don't feel safe with that person anymore. Um, maybe I'm starting to get judgmental around that person. This is no longer yeah. convenience, ease, path of least resistance. I don't get to choose every single person that walks into my house church, what they say when they leave yeah <laughs> you know totally like i'm subject to the way that the community will just become messy totally and that's reality that's healthy in fact um there's this dietrich bonhoeffer quote from life together which is a little book that he wrote in 1938 i think um that is basically about that Oh, it's fascinating. Maybe, I don't know if I should read the whole thing, but essentially what he's saying is you'll have an ideal for what community should be in your heart. And then when you get into a real community, it won't match that ideal. Yeah. When it doesn't match that ideal, you'll be disillusioned because the illusion of the, of the community that you wanted will have to die mm -hmm. because that vision wasn't reality. And when that disillusionment happens, you'll be trending towards the healthiest community that you've ever been in because you're accepting reality now. Wow. Now, okay, I'm in a house church that made me uncomfortable. Ugh. I'm, I'm going to accept that that's just how my house church is. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to quit on it. I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to stay here and remain every yeah. week. And I'm actually going to risk and, and confess that last night I sinned mm -hmm. and I'm going to ask for forgiveness and prayer. Like if that's yeah. the way that you embrace it in the mess, Bonhoeffer says in this quote, that's when you've actually accessed genuine Christian community. Wow. And if any point you try to inject like idealism into it, that idealism will either force you out of the community or force the community to be less authentic, raw, and Christian. Mm -hmm. Did that make sense? Yeah, totally. Because like, I mean, have mm. you had anecdotal experiences in house churches or small groups that have been uncomfortable that have made you want to leave? Yeah, I think there's even just like a budding of different personalities, you know? It's like, I remember saying when... Um, I was in a small group once like, I wouldn't be friends with the people here outside mm. of this small group, but I wouldn't, but all my friends think the same way and talk the same way and worship God in the same way or whatever. And so in this specific small group, it was actually super fruitful for me to be getting this, you know, diverse collection of knowledge and personality types. And it made me a more, um, it made me a, a better huh. person to be in community with because it taught me how to like deal with people that rub me the wrong way, you know, or like that got on my nerves. And it's like, slowly you just kind of die to those idealist, like idealistic ways of like, we're all going to be kumbaya. Huh. And then you just are able to have honest conversations and like, hmm. I don't know. And then you become genuine friends too after that. So like it, you, you just have to allow it to do its work in you. Mm. Um, 
Yeah. What I about, love that. Yeah. What about you? Well, I, I just like some of the words that you said, like do its work. It's like community is actually a sanctifying work. Mm-hmm. Um, John Mark Comer said something about that too. Yeah. He said community is Jesus's school of love. That's a good word. That's a good way to put it. Isn't that fun? Yeah. It will school you into how to love mm-hmm. people that aren't like you. Because in Jesus's blood, there's no dividing wall. There's neither slave nor free. And when Paul was writing that to the church in Galatia, he was dealing with literal slaves and slave masters that were eating dinner at the same table Hmm. with integrity. (laughs) There was like Gentiles and Jews. There were men and women. And all of them were upheld with the same honor and dignity as brothers and sisters in Christ. That was mm-hmm. so countercultural in his time. And that's just as true today that like yeah. n- nothing should separate us. Totally. Um, but that's so hard. But the hardness <laughs> yeah. is what is doing the sanctifying work inside of me. So totally. I just like to use the word it's doing its work. It reminds me of marriage. Not that I'm experienced. Yeah. I've been married now for a month and a half. No, you're very experienced, very experienced. But, uh, from what I can understand about marriage so far, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's wonderful and hard. Mm -hmm. And people have said to me for a long time, it's the most sanctifying thing to do. Maybe with the exception of having kids. Yeah. Kids will be more sanctifying. And why is that? Because both of those scenarios are relationships that you have that you can't just leave when they get uncomfortable. Yeah. When they're no longer convenient, like your kid's crying in the middle of the night again, four-year-old, mm-hmm. you have to wake up. Hate to break it to you, but you're the parent yeah. and that's a four-month-old totally. crying. Yeah. Like, wake up. This is a covenant. It's going to force things of you that like, yeah. that sanctify you. Don't you think? Mm-hmm. And if... If we hung on to community in the same way that we hang on to our relationships with our children or our spouses, I think we would find ourselves being sharpened and sharpening others in our discipleship. And it would be transformative to us individually, but especially to our community, like at large. Yeah. And that's the whole thing. It's not for our personal benefit. It's for the collective benefit. Totally. And that, because if it's, if you're just, if you're just going there to, you know, somehow get whatever you need out of it, you're going to be perpetually annoyed by the people that annoy you, mm-hmm. you know? Wow. But it's like, what if you like actually engage with this community and are real and vulnerable? And maybe those things that annoy you, maybe those people, if they're real and like, and vulnerable, like they, like, ev- like will slowly soften each other yeah, or sharpen each other. I, either sure. way you like, look at that, yeah. you know, different metaphors and be just become better people overall, mm-hmm. you know? It's so interesting. I, there, I think there's something to like really the prayer of our hearts, according to Jesus is your will be done mm-hmm. on earth as it is in heaven. The earth says my will be done. Like my per, like whatever my will is, wow. is the, the utmost right, the utmost yeah. truth. Um, and so the moment you add like a wife or a husband, that's another will in your life that you have to submit to, you know, kids on top of that community and family on top of that. So now there's all these wills that are so countercultural. Like the fact that I need to allow these wills to affect my will Mm -hmm. is so countercultural. Well, 
Is that like that? I don't know. There's yeah, some, that's a great yeah, way to say it. I don't know if that, if that was the most clear way to say it, but I was just like, I was like, Oh wow. I think what's hard is that we've just been conditioned to be like my will above everyone else, especially yeah. in singleness without relationship. It's just so easy. It's mm-hmm. like, and it's not a bad thing that like, I mean, if you're single or called to singleness and you feel like pancakes tonight, you get pancakes tonight, you know, like whatever yeah. that is. But <laughs> without community, like there's no other will in your life that's like sharpening you. Wow. And I, it's those other wills that will sharpen us to hopefully our common goal is to be like Christ and his will be done. That's good. I think that's one of the primary reasons why singleness is so hard today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because um, one of the only ways that our culture does community by default is in marriage and with children. Yeah. But even then, you know, like, what is it? 50% of marriages end in divorce. That's staggering. Just to hear. something devastating like yeah. that. Uh, but if you're a single person, unfortunately you live in a culture in the United States where community is not culturally baked in for you unless you belong to Alcoholics Anonymous. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. That was something that John Mark pointed out in his sermon as well. He said, I don't know if there's a way to measure this, but Mm -hmm. apparently a lot of people argue that the greatest community of transformation in the United States is Alcoholics Anonymous. Hmm. Not any church. Yeah. But it's actually, I mean, it's ironic and unfortunate because AA was planted by a church in Ohio Mm -hmm. as a ministry to help people break their bondage to their sin, which Mm -hmm. was alcoholism. Um, And it worked because they confess to one another weekly. They commit to each other. So they're there regularly. They disciple each other. There's like mentor figures and mentees. And even when you're clean, you continue to go and you continue to invest in a community and you can't control who walks in the room and joins your circle every week. You just are a part of that community with them every week. Like Mm. it's interesting. Like AA was born out of the idea that, um, uh, as Christians, we're not getting the transformation that we need on Sunday. So let's start like a group outside where we have the vulnerability and space that we need mm-hmm. to go after this stuff. And then like the 12 step program was born and it's been incredibly effective for breaking alcoholism yeah. over people's lives. And we praise God for that. But unfortunately it's like the kingdom without the King now, because it's yeah. it's centered around vulnerability and a higher power, but not, to well, the Lordship of Jesus. It's interesting. Like that, that is what discipleship is laid out in the Bible is like a 12 step program pretty much. Yeah. And now we look at AA and like the strictest and all the, it was like, that's radical discipleship, you know, Wow. when that's like your point at the beginning is like, that's just what discipleship lo- should look like. That's what our Christian community should just look like. It's and blue, now blue it's, berry. now it's a blue, 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 <laughs> blue, berry. blue, 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 blue. Come on. (laughs) I think 
one of our hindrances to community is our desire for convenience. Mm -hmm. It's just not convenient tonight. Like I just work went long. I don't know. I have to drive somewhere further than I want to, to go meet with my house church. Um, or this is a busy season. This is a busy season. You know, you know there's just a lot of people on vacation in the summer. <laughs> totally. So we're just like, we're going to cancel house church for the three months that summer happens because we don't need to be in community with each other while you're traveling. Uh Oh, I mean, that. yeah, that's, correct that's, me if I'm wrong. No. I think most of our house churches have done that. Yeah. Which is so, at, yeah. At some point I see no, some people that did make it the summer, but okay. a lot of people did take it off to some extent. And maybe I shouldn't, I, I, I shouldn't as- ascribe too much morality to that because I'm not a house church leader. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know how it all goes, but I think that just shows that we bend um, our lives around certain things. Mm-hmm. And our church community is typically not one of those things. Totally. You know, I'm going to bend my life around my kids. My kids' sports. My kids' sports. Yeah. Wow. Can we uh, pause real fast? Oh, yeah. Because I, I just got a phone call and I'm not sure if it messed up the camera. Oh, do. Check. Maybe it did. Oh, still recording. Still going? Yeah, we're looking good. It was silent. Maybe it just popped up like a notification. Yeah, it must have. Is everything uh, okay? What? Yeah. No, it's just updates. Okay. We're at like an hour right now. So Okay. We can land the plane. But someone was talking to me about how they like it when we have longer podcasts. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So, and multiple people in the office today were like, no, you like, I like it because like at 45 minutes, you guys are just rolling and. Oh, fun. Yeah. Okay. So well, we can keep going if you want. I've hit a lot of these points. I mean, we don't have to go much if we don't, we don't have to force it. But yeah, sure, sure, sure. I feel like I don't have a lot more to add. <laughs> so I'll like, I'll like just play off what you talk about. Okay. But I'm like, I don't know why. Has this been good though? It's been so good. Okay. I love God. it. Okay. Yeah. I think it's so important. Oh, don't come out. I wonder where we pick up. How should we do that? What were we? We just came Bending off of your. Oh yeah, yeah. Around your preferences. Yeah. Maybe just restart that thought. Okay. And I'll see how that interplays. Mm-hmm. If we need. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm dancing flamenco. Um, okay, sweet. <laughs> it's so fun. So convenience is for sure something that we allow to drive our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, we're bending our preferences. Uh, we're bending our lives around our preferences. So it feels like... I mean, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong here, but it feels like I'm going to live my life and I'm going to say that I prioritize all of these things like playing the piano. Mm -hmm. But if I don't actually make time to play the piano, do I really value it? Totally. I I don't know. Like convict me, Lord, because I say I valued playing the piano and I I played today for the first time in way too long. (laughs) Yeah, totally. I love the piano. Do I really? I mean, yeah, but Mm -hmm. I'm not making time for it because I'm bending my life around other things to make time for those. Mm -hmm. What are those things? Maybe for someone it's like kids sports Mm -hmm. or, um, which is good, you know, which is great. 
that's that's where like the I think this this call to sorry I didn't mean to interrupt. No, I'm glad you. I did. just had this because I made that sound like a negative thing, and it's not. Yeah, yeah, and mm-hmm. I know he didn't mean that, but I think that's where this idea that Pastor Darren also brought up in our podcast about just the seasons of life too. You know, it's like for people with really young kids that are their days are marked by naps and you know, late nights and like, there's just way less bandwidth for uh, a community. That's like, so ever present, you know? Yeah. But it's not to like, we, it's not that we shouldn't take our eyes off of that, you know, or like excuse it for the whole season of growing a family and, and adolescence and whatever. And I think, um, we often do that in our society. It's like we get used to the isolation we felt with young kids and then we are just going to isolate within our family for sports and sports and sports or whatever it is and music, music, music and theater and theater and theater and like whatever my family's doing, like we're just going to wholeheartedly do this without any framework for what my neighbor and my local church is also doing, hmm. which is so important. It's good. Um, and for those of you that don't have families, um, yeah, I think we, we can still just like give up on those things. And my, I read this quote, I think either I got, got it from my dad or whatever. It's like the, what you spend your time on is what you value. Like if you look mm-hmm. at the chronicle of each day, like I would say I value, um, fly fishing. I love it. Yeah. It's so fun. I went once this year. And at the beginning of this spring season, I told myself I was going to go every week. Mm -hmm. So it's obvious right now I don't value it. Um, But I do watch like an hour of YouTube a day. Wow. I watch an hour and a half maybe, you know, sure. at like throughout the day or whatever. And so it's like, well, I've bent my life for YouTube, which is not creative or producing anything. It's only consuming, but I haven't bent my life for something that's much more life-giving and meets a soul need of mine and all these things. So it's like, that's hard. It's like, that's when I actually take inventory of how I spend my day, I usually feel pretty convicted. Wow. You know, that's a good practice. And I think injected into that is the problem of our culture where, um, like the, the technological consumeristic world is trying to, um, market, everything that you love in order to buy as much of your time as possible. Yeah. And like the YouTube vortex is what we used to call it. That you like get on one video and really quickly the next one just comes. I think that happens with any social media platform now, especially with the advent of TikTok. Yeah. Um, The autoplay. Yep. Yeah. You don't even have to scroll. It just goes on to the next thing. Netflix. Continue (laughs) watching, Mm -hmm. you know? Are you still watching? Doesn't matter because it's playing anyway. Yes, <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Coming your way. Mm-hmm. So it makes it easier to be passive in our decision making. Totally. I'm just going to lay here for another, I don't know how long. I'm just here right now. And then all of a sudden an hour and a half has gone by. Yeah, that's that's maybe a newer problem. I don't yeah. know if that existed in different iterations. Just it's now turned up because yeah. of technology the way that it is. But I don't I don't. Th- think so hmm. yeah maybe it's like I, genuinely it feels new. like a new huh. problem i can't think of it like there weren't like auto page turning books or something you yeah know? <laughs> or like oh you know it's like or like maybe it was like the radio back then you know it's sure. like 
oh, I just listened to one radio show and now I'm listening to another one. This is crazy. <laughs> you know <laughs> how people talked voice. back then. Yeah, that was good. That's how everyone talked. Yeah. In the 1930s. I don't know. Totally. When that was. Um, maybe like you finished a book and when you went to go put it on the shelf, your auto scroll was like moving and picking up the next book <laughs> which feels to, so wholesome. To, to think yeah that feels so wholesome nowadays <laughs> you know that feels so slow so. the fact that you're like hmm <laughs> this one <laughs> yeah. and you start reading it again and it's like oh man another three days has gone by wow oh, <laughs> next one and it's like <laughs> what in the world <laughs> wow i love that imagine if we bent our lives around community in the way that we do around these other things, I'm thinking like, okay. I'm, I'm, and maybe I need to offer more grace. It's really easy for young people to be zealous and excited and energetic and like True. not understand actually the full consequences of the thing I'm about to say. And yeah. that was true with Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He said a lot of things that were like, dude, you actually didn't understand how life works yet. Mm -hmm. You were just really naive. Mm -hmm. um, and so like, I want to, I feel that I want to recognize that yeah. that's probably me in a lot of this. Um, and, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm still going to say it, but I'm still going to say it. Cause I know other people do this in our world. What if our communities, church groups, house churches, whatever we want to call them these days, met weekly? Yeah. And you didn't, I, I mean, you didn't take breaks from a group standpoint, but if you were out of town, of course, you don't have to like not go on your family vacation. Yeah. Um, maybe you take Thursday off when it's Thanksgiving because it's Thanksgiving and you're not going to do Thanksgiving together, but, but countercultural, maybe you're actually a family that like, there's a couple people in your house church that don't have other family to eat with. Yeah. And so they do Thanksgiving together. Totally. And you actually meet every Thursday, mm -hmm. even if it's new year's Eve and you want to ring in the new year with your family, your church community, because you're actually covenanted in a meaningful community that's so deep that you want to spend Christmas yeah. morning together. Like, I don't know. I'm trying to imagine a culture where that's where our hearts go. Yeah. Um, and I, I just say it's possible. It must be. Mm -hmm. um, and I think a lot of the way that we've done small groups just in the American church yeah. are built around like, well, what, what's, going to realistically work around the way our hurried schedules are yeah. in the u.s do you think i'm being too extreme on that no it's just like hard to hear honestly <laughs> huh. but it's so true i mean i convict myself because i don't go to a community group weekly yeah i, no, I, I, I have I a think, meal with my family every week i think it'd be so cool but yeah i don't do the same thing and i but i've like kind of talked about doing that but mm. have never actually initiated that with mm -hmm. my house church you know mm -hmm. so it's like it sounds so good but yeah we're really stuck in our our worlds you know and have you ever heard this thing in your head at least i have where i've said okay well maybe my house church isn't the right fit for me because they're not the people that I would gravitate to and spend yeah. as much time with naturally. So what I'm going to do is pull out of my house church and I'm going to like start my own and I'm going to hand select all the people that I love the most and want to spend the most amount of time with yeah. and create a group out of them. 
and then it will be ideal. And then like no one will make me uncomfortable and we'll all think the, the same things. Okay. You just like read my mind. Doesn't that That's sound great? So funny. Yeah. I mean, I feel like most of us probably have that thought. Yeah. And then look at Jesus's disciples mm-hmm. and tell me that Simon the Zealot didn't absolutely hate Matthew the tax collector when they first got to know each other. Totally. Like mm-hmm. talk about a small group. <laughs> what? Yeah, like Jesus exactly. is saying, follow me. This is mm-hmm. what following me is going to look like. You're now like in order to follow me, you have to join my community. Yeah. I think that's something we don't see in the text, but it's a happening in Jesus's ministry and joining his community meant the zealot had to eat with the tax collector, yeah. whether he liked it or not. And he was going to have to figure out how to like it and how to see the former tax collector as his brother. Yeah. It's like, I mean, modern day, Jesus calls a white supremacist and a, you know, a black abortion doctor. Wow. You know, (laughs) literally. And it's like, Hey, you both love what I'm talking about and are really deeply moved by me. Come be to my disciples and also be in community with another, you know, I think at first they're just like, I don't know what to do. I completely disagree with everything in your life yeah all your life choices except jesus right that's wild and in fact i bet if i were either of those characters that you just named mm-hmm. i would say you don't even agree with jesus there's no way you can y- you think you do but mm-hmm. you don't know the true jesus because mm-hmm. the true jesus looks more like me yeah oh wow that's loud when you put a contrast together like that isn't it yeah and That's the kind of stuff that Paul is saying in Galatians when he says there is neither Jew nor Gentile. Yeah. There is neither slave nor free. Like that's crazy. You're telling me as a slave master that the people I've had ownership over my whole life are now my peers. Yeah. That I'm supposed to eat meals with them at the same time. They're not supposed to serve me. Paul says, yeah. Yeah. In fact, you have a lot to learn from that person because the least of these is maybe the most like Jesus. Jesus says, the first shall be last, bro. Whoa. (laughs) So we're saying community can be a pretty powerful school of love. A school of love. school of love. I love that. And when it's actually doing its work is when it's hardest. And, mm. and you have to stick through it. Uh, maybe school of love is fun because who has had an experience where school has been hard? Oh, yeah. It probably wasn't school if it wasn't hard. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Right? You weren't learning. You weren't mm-hmm. being challenged. Exactly. It was like, I don't like school because calculus is really challenging me these days. Like, great. That's what it should be doing. It's mm-hmm. calculus. Try harder and you'll <laughs> figure it out. Yeah, totally. And you're becoming better because of it. Mm-hmm. Community is that for our discipleship don't you think yeah and if if we see it that way then maybe when it gets hard with eyes of faith we won't be discouraged we'll be encouraged because we realize whoa this conflict this offense that i'm feeling right now is an issue that jesus wants to flush out of me and make me look more like him and he's allowed this community to exist almost as a workshop for sanctification to happen in the church yeah It's interesting. I think something I'm taking away from this conversation is I think coming into this, I would have said I deeply agree with his phrase about his phrasing around being a radical disciple in community, 
to live in a covenanted counterculture community in the local church context. I'd be like, oh yes, I want to see that, whatever. But even in this conversation in community, I feel like a lot of stuff was like weeded out of me or like pointed out of like, oh, do you really believe that to the fullest extent? You know, Uh like, oh man, you like this comfort or this ability to isolate or all this stuff. And I feel like it was where I would have thought I was so much on this side of, yeah, I'm, I'm a totally a radical disciple in this. I'm like, Oh, I'm more consumeristic than I imagined. Wow. And that wouldn't have happened without this conversation, which you and I are community, you know? Amen. So like, we should do this. Boom. Cheers. The double. (laughs) So one, thank you for that. Wow. But I mean, just to, testify to the power of this it like totally brought to light a lot of paradigms that i didn't know that i had wow yeah thank you darren roundson yeah and dietrich bonhoeffer and john mark comer and paul and jesus mostly exactly (laughs) i feel the same way and like i mean candidly there have been moments in our relationship jace where something has happened and we've confessed it to one another yeah And that confession has actually, I I can speak for myself. I can say it's been actually powerful. Yeah. In my life too. I will absolutely testify that as well. And I think if confession and that level of vulnerability isn't happening in relationships, Mm -hmm. then those aren't the kind of relationships you're building Christian community with. Come on. Um, That'll preach. John Mark Comer said to quote him again, that the center of the way of Christ isn't the sanctuary it's the table come on that's good it's not fun i love that which let's just read one of my favorite passages in all of the bible is acts 2 42 through 47 this picture of the church after pentecost yeah it says and they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship boom like one of the most primary things fellowship yeah Koinonia is the Greek word. It means we're engaging in life together, life on life. Wow. So good. That's covenantal counter cultural community. Um, you should read all those words into the word fellowship when you see it in the new Testament. So, and they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. I love that they even say that breaking of bread. It's like Mm -hmm. they're having communion together. Yeah. And that just looks like eating a meal. Mm-hmm. And because of who they are in the blood of Christ with the Holy Spirit, their meals are sacred. Like something so sacramental is happening yeah. when they meet. And it would have looked like confessing their sins. For sure, we know that because of the New Testament. Mm-hmm. It would have looked like worshiping. We know that too. Greeting one another with a holy kiss. <laughs> yeah. Whatever that looked like in their culture. Totally. Oh, it's inspiring to me because if people can do it in the church in Rome, we can definitely do it here. Yeah. But for whatever reason, it's like we're lulled into some level of numb complacency that makes it feel harder. I wonder if the persecuted church has to have community in a way because it's the only safe place without each other. What? What are they? Mm -hmm. Yeah. John Mark Comer started his community sermon with this really interesting little information I had never heard before that when the settlers from Europe 
settled in the Americas, um, there was a problem that every now and again, settlers would defect and go live with the indigenous people of the land. Yeah. And never recorded in history did the inverse happen without force. Yeah. So in other words, the indigenous people never decided, oh, I like the way those Europeans live. Let me go live with them instead Mm -hmm. of my community. Yeah. If that happened, it was because they were forced to do that. But settlers actually fled their community sometimes to go live with the indigenous. And why did they think that was? They point to the hyper-individualism of the settlers as compared to the radical community of the indigenous people. Yeah. is that interesting? So it was like the way that we talk about social media and the smartphone and TikTok and whatever else, that's, it's like technology of today that's pulling us apart from each other. Mm-hmm. I think they thought of their creature comforts and technology as doing a similar thing, even in the 16 and 1700s. That's wild. But with life stripped bare, when you depend on each other, is when you have the most rich community. Oh, this is another fun one. (laughs) Man, we're going over on time. I'm excited about it. Um, They tracked depression rates in the United Kingdom during World War II, Mm -hmm. before World War II, during and after. And supposedly, I don't know where this is published, so you'll have to fact check me, but Supposedly, the point of least depression in London was during the German bombing of London. Wow. Which was called the Battle of Britain. Um, and they, they think it's because there was a kind of resiliency that was born in the Holy Spirit or yeah. in, in the person's spirit, maybe by the grace of the Holy Spirit, because of the way that the British huddled together in community while they were under siege. Because... Mm-hmm that moment of terror forced them together and their togetherness helped their depression drop even though they were dramatically under siege. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. That's so crazy. And now we're under siege from depression. What you say is true. The blitz spirit, the blitz spirit, according to the guardian. So, okay. You just looked it up. Yeah. There you have it. If you want to Google it, just to fact check the yeah. blitz spirit, they mm-hmm. called it, what is it? The blitz of London or the German blitz? Yeah. Something like that. Something. It's during that, during those times, mm-hmm. uh, there, yeah, there was the camaraderie like yeah. you're saying, totally keep calm and carry on. That's where <laughs> that comes from. Hey, I know that Germany is currently actively bombing our city, but just keep living and all will be well. Mm-hmm. And out of that spirit in the UK was born like a really healthy community i guess according to these researchers yeah and then after the bombing stopped depression rates started to trick back up isn't that odd so interesting huh the world we live in you know the world we it's like when we're comfortable we veer a like more in the direction of our fleshly desires and away from the things that our spirits actually need totally oh i i was thinking even we were talking about like, what was the equivalent of all this content back in the day? I mean, for so long, most people were working to live or farming to live. Hmm. There wasn't as much downtime. The downtimes were like meals pretty much. Yeah. And so it's with the advent of technology and 
free time you know we all say we don't have enough free time but we do <laughs> so much so <laughs> that all these things have become in more into play i think too oh. and so even like during you know while your city's being bombed there's just more to do you know yeah. there's more to prepare and check on and go and like you're just less focused on yourself i'd have to imagine wow i love um, that and i would say anything that we can do to focus less on ourselves like and just with other people i think just getting in front of other people mm-hmm. really is the number one step that's good put your phones down put them in a basket and yep. just hang out that's it that's all that we're called to do in community pretty much and then step two once you get in your first fight push through <laughs> resolve it and keep going you know that's very good and i'm like i think that's that's just what we're missing is just like the regular face-to-face no technology yeah. um and then a resilience a resilience in community that's holy that's what i mean that's why i feel like the call is from this for us to really be radical disciples of Christ at River House, mm. this is what it's going to look like, in its most basic sense. What do you What do you think? I think that's the perfect way to sum this all up. Is wherever you find yourself right now, listener. I know where I find myself. Um, take yourself one step closer to this biblical vision of community. Um, so if you're not meeting with anyone at all. Mm-hmm get someone else that goes to our church or if you don't attend river house and you attend another one and you're listening to this for some reason. Um, thank you. Hello. <laughs> nice to meet you. Hello. Um, join, join some kind of community, get friends together that yeah. meet on a regular basis. Preferably, um, we would say join one of our house churches because those are communities that are already functioning. Yeah. Um, and they want to welcome you and, meet with them regularly and make it a habit to go out of your way if it's inconvenient in order to meet with those people. Yeah. That's so good. Um, and if you're already doing that, then I would ask you, do you withhold from your community anything? Maybe you go every single week, but you still feel lonely. Yeah. And my guess is that's probably because vulnerability isn't something that is happening. Mm-hmm. So risk. Um, suppress or throw out, not suppress, throw out any fear that you might be feeling of vulnerability Mm -hmm. and take a risk. That's good. And engage with your full heart. Um, and when it gets uncomfortable, just like you said, when someone offends you, press in, Mm -hmm. repent when you need to repent, ask forgiveness when you need to ask forgiveness, forgive others, listen well, open your heart, you know, all those things. Mm -hmm. And then I think if you're doing all of those things, then it could look more like the kingdom accountability stuff that we were talking about, like inviting one another into your financial decisions. Yeah. When you're, when you have that level of trust, Mm -hmm. then it could be like, Hey, I'm about to spend $1,500 on this thing. I'd like to submit that to you so that you can hold me accountable to whether I'm spending my money like God wants me to. So good. I would invite you into that level of discipleship if that's the next level for you. I mm-hmm. think there's, there's always closer to Christ that we can come in our communities. Yeah. And I also want to say in all of this, that this isn't like a legalistic have to thing. You're not working your way into heaven with this stuff. Yeah. That's you're good to say covered by the blood of Christ. There is grace for when you're sick or your kids are little and you can't make it or like community is just hard. And we're, we all recognize that. So I want to say that. Mm-hmm. 
and don't give up on it. Yeah, that's good. Jesus um, didn't give up on it, and he didn't let his disciples give up on it either. In fact, I'm thinking somewhere in Luke, Luke chapter 9 maybe, he says um, that there are some people that came up to him, said, Master, I want to follow you. And Jesus doesn't sugarcoat it. He says, foxes have dens to lay in, but the son of man doesn't even have a rock for his head. In other words, he's telling that guy, if you come after me, you're going to be homeless. There's going to be a pretty big cost to pay. Mm -hmm. You're welcome to come, but know that reality. Yeah. And then the next guy comes out and he says, I want to follow you, Jesus, but let me bury my dad first. Hmm. And Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead. Come after me. I don't, I, I need to do more research here, but John Mark Comer said that was a, an idiom in its day. Mm-hmm. And what the man meant when he said, let me bury my dad was, let me wait until my dad passes away and I inherit my inheritance from him hmm. and like take over. This is like my financial plan, yeah. Jesus, like let my financial plan unfold mm-hmm. and then I'll follow you. Yeah. And I think if that's the correct interpretation, which John Mark said it was, and I trust him, um, then Jesus is saying, don't wait on those plans. Let mm-hmm. me be your plan. Yeah. You know, that's good. Whatever the cost might be. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that there's grace and a call to the abundant life. So mm-hmm. don't miss out on the abundant life that Jesus has for you in community. So good. Wow. Thanks for letting me talk so much. I'm sorry that no, I just rambled a lot. Do not say sorry <laughs> at all. It's been so good. It's good. It's a good one. This is like, it's a, it's just a, I don't know. It's like, I think it's, we, we talk a big game about community at River House. I think we're really trying, but I think personally, I think we, there's more we can do. There's more I can do. I know for sure. Same. And so maybe I shouldn't say that as a we, but I know I can do more mm-hmm. and want to do more because I, I see the benefits, you know, Amen. through scripture, through all these examples. I'm like, this makes sense to me. Amen. <laughs> let's do it. You know? <laughs> yeah. Wow. So let's do it. Boom. All right. Uh, feel free to hit us up on how you're doing it. Friends <laughs> yes. on uh, deep waters at riverhouse ministries.com. If you have questions or you want us to talk about other things, flush them out more. Um, also yeah. coming up um, this Sunday, I believe the 27th is the start of the next Sunday school class. Oh, yes. Yeah. Wait, let me look at the calendar. I think the next Sunday school class actually doesn't start until um, September 10th. Okay. Just so you know that. But September 3rd, Labor Day weekend is the cutoff time for registration. So if you're interested in Sunday school, um, register and we'd love to have you. Also, this Sunday coming up on the 27th mm-hmm. is our back to school bash all church after party. That's great. Um, so please come out. And there's going to be house church leaders there that are available. Mm-hmm. If you um, don't have a house church, um, just so you can connect. Or if you want to connect with um, kids, leaders, or other leaders throughout the church, um, there'll be special areas to, to connect. So this is a dinner made for connection. Amen. And it's free. Free food. Yeah. And it'll be a water slide. Whoa, really? For kids. Whoa, that's sweet. We'll have a good time. Man, I wish I was a child so much. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should get an adult water slide too. <laughs> yes. 
Just call the natatorium and see if we can borrow their slide. There you go. Yeah, why not? Yeah. All right, friends. Thanks for tuning in. Yeah. We'll see you next time on the Deep Waters Podcast. Love you guys. Clink. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the Deep Waters Podcast. If you have comments, questions, or concerns, maybe even a recipe or two, please send them to deepwaters at riverhouseministries.com. And if you would like to join us at Riverhouse for Sunday service, we meet at the Vineyard Boise at 4 p.m. We'd love to see you there. We cannot do this podcast without a little help from our friends. Our theme music was written and recorded by the Riverhouse worship team. Production is done by Jordan Sodeman. Special thanks to Isaiah Guerrero for our artwork. Benjamin Olson writes and co-hosts with me, Jace Langley, and I also edit this bad boy. If you like this podcast and want to keep going on this journey of discipleship with us, please leave us a review wherever you listen to the Deep Waters podcast. May Christ be with you wherever you go.